bringing you fresh thinking about people, culture, well-being and leadership inspired by real stories. With your hosts, Natasha Wallace and Blair Palmer. It's the Human Revolutionary Show. Hello and welcome to the first Human Revolutionaries podcast. How, how are you feeling, Natasha, about our new show? Excited. We finally get the opportunity to do something together, which is what we've been wanting to do for a while now, isn't it? It is. It is. We've got some really, we've got such a good story to talk about today. It's just, it's, you know, it's very rich what's going on in the corporate world at the moment around work. <laughs> yeah, rich. It's rich. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, before we launch into that, why don't we do like a bit of a check-in? Because we... I, I asked you how you were and you said you were fine you were excited but I also happen to know because we talked about it before we pressed record that that's not exactly how you're feeling and to, to be honest whenever I ask anyone how they are and they say fine I always ask how they are really anyway so how, how are you really? Well I mean I, I still am excited in this moment right now I'm excited to be doing this um, but yeah I mean the last week or so things just have not felt like they're in flow and I went from a period of what seemed to be like optimum flow where things were falling into place and it was all sort of it was hard don't get me wrong I did some of the hardest most challenging work of my life but it worked um and yeah the last week has just been a bit tricky I'm sat with this you know curtain backdrop this beautiful curtain backdrop um, when I normally have a beautiful backdrop of trees because uh, the kids are at home and I've squirreled myself away in the bedroom and I'm having to tether to my phone through 4G, which has made my connection super dodgy this morning. So I did a webinar that I was hosting this morning and I kept on dropping out and had to come off camera. And I just, that really bugs me. I hate it when it's doesn't flow um and I was thinking you know this is this is probably the life of your average grad who's living in a shared house with a group of people where there's no communal space for them to work and they've got to hide in their bedroom and everybody's drawing on the same internet reserves and you know for years I've said you know do people have the right resources to do their job um I haven't got the right resources to do my job but it's really frustrating yeah, yeah. And isn't it interesting how much of an impact that has on everything else? You know, because you would think, I remember years ago, we we went traveling, my daughter and I went traveling for a few months around Europe and sort of being digital nomads, digital nomads and world schoolers. And um, we were interviewed for a magazine and um, the people interviewing us said, what's the most important thing you look for in a place where you're going to be staying for any period of time? Is it, you know, beautiful scenery? Is it a great house? Is it being near the shops? Is it faster than average internet? And I said, it's faster than average internet. I mean, and at the time we were sort of living in a cave, like the house had no light, you can see it, there were hardly any windows, it was basically a basement, but it had really, really good internet. And that's why we chose it. I think that that sort of stuff is, is hugely underestimated as a as a trigger for how we're feeling about our lives. Totally. I can't, I cannot believe how much my dodgy internet has affected my sense of well-being this week. I did um 
like a live, a LinkedIn live yesterday. It took me half an hour to get on the blinking system. It wasn't internet that time. It was the fact that I needed Chrome. I couldn't download it on my new Mac. Oh, you know, really, just really frustrating. And then, of course, there's a knock-on effect. So, you know, then the kids' dinner was later and then their bath was later and I had a piece of work to do last night and, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's just, you know, first world problem, but actually something that in the moment just becomes annoying. It's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, I think in a, in a future show, we should talk about, you know, how this future of work might look there's a lot of interesting data I was finding today about how how it might look and what are some of the priorities but I think that you know for whatever we might say about oh isn't it marvelous to have the opportunity to work at home if we can't get some of this stuff sorted out we're going to be really feeding into the the anxiety and the stress and the burnout you know so all the advantages of being at home completely wiped out by the fact you just cannot get a solid signal Absolutely. And then it plays to things like inclusion. And, and this is where inclusion becomes very, very ground level operational. You know, if you're in a team meeting with a group of people and you're trying to brainstorm about something or create something or discover something or just discuss something and you keep on getting turfed out of the room because of your Internet. Well, you know, that's inclusion gone out the window with your Internet connection because you just don't feel part of it. Um, those things are incredibly important that you know that being able to stay connected is uh it's suddenly become the most important thing in the world yeah yeah well we'll come back to it but it's also relevant in a minute to our work in the news story so should we should we go to that let's do it Work in the news. So there's this KPMG chairman stuff that he said in a meeting with people where he thought it was probably safe to be himself. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't being himself. But you're going to outline the story for us, Blair, and we can have a little bit of a a dig into that. I am. I mean, I salivated slightly when I started seeing this story. on all the social media because this is the sort of stuff that you know it's the self-righteous indignation isn't it oh how how could he say such terrible things but let me let me for those of you who don't who aren't familiar with the story the, the story is um bill michael he was the chair and senior partner at kpmg and they were having i guess it was an all hands 1500 employees on this call and um, he said some very inappropriate or some things that were perceived and felt to be very inappropriate we'll discuss whether they're inappropriate in a minute so he said um, he was talking about what was going on in the organization um, and their results hadn't been that great so he was talking about I mean they hadn't been that great for KPMG obviously and they were still making tons of money Um, and so he was talking about there might have to be some pay cuts and, and that kind of stuff. But he he also, in amongst all of this, told staff to stop moaning about working from home or having to take care of their kids while the schools were closed, that sort of thing. He also, um, you asked me before we recorded, if I was, we were going to be swearing. I have to swear because I have to quote him. So he, he, he called un- unconscious bias complete and utter crap, (laughs) which I 
find ironic because his unconscious bias was showing um, <laughs> just by the other things that he said. Um, so he said that, I'm just trying to see here in this article what he said. Uh, I mean, to be honest, as if it wasn't enough. He said, he said, take control of your life and don't sit there and moan about it. And um, I'm not sure if he actually used the word snowflake, but a lot of the commentators on what he talked about have referred to, you know, his perception and bosses like him, his perception of, of people as snowflakes because they can't roll with the punches. So anyway, there was there were lots of complaints. Initially, he um, he sort of stepped aside for an investigation, but then he and then he apologized. He apologized, but according to his people that didn't go far enough. And so he has now left the role, but the investigation continues. So that's, that's the story. We'll put some links in the show notes if people want to find out more about it and what's been happening. But I mean, your, your take, you know, if we, if we were sitting with KPMG trying to give them some advice or some insights, what, what's your initial take on it? Well, okay. So you used to work in the media and I didn't. However, you know, I understand propaganda and the fact that you know people should be innocent until proven guilty and all that sort of stuff so I try when I see these things to take a step back and say did that did that actually happen (laughs) is that the actual truth so on the basis that this this is the actual truth and that's what we're commenting on I guess um one thing I felt that KPMG did that was quite impressive is they seem to respond to it very very quickly so the chair was suddenly over here, you know, away from uh, the, the workforce whilst they investigated. And I, I believe they brought these two female leaders in to do a dual role to take on the leadership temporarily until somebody is put into post. Um, I mean, there was, there was something I thought might be slightly tokenistic about that, but nevertheless, two female leaders being put into, into the role that was previously held by, by a man. And I, and I think also it's the first time that KPMG have had females leading at the very yeah. top. So, you know, I thought, good on you, KPMG. You've done something that looks quite meaningful there. So um, I might be naive, but um, I thought that their response was quick. Um, but going back, to, um, going back to those comments... I mean, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, I've, I've heard comments like that throughout my career. Um, you know, stiff up a lip or, you know, just stop moaning, just get on with it. Lucky to have a job. Um, I mean, the amount of times I've heard that. And I just think it's really, really short-sighted. And I think that, you know, this whole idea of the snowflake generation, you know, the young crew, the younger crew that are coming through and they're hugely expectant and they want everything handed to them on a place and they're not expecting, you know, they're not um, expecting to work too hard. All all of the sort of stuff that you hear around snowflakes. Um, I just think that's nonsense. I think that the younger generation especially have seen that the world of work can be a different place can be inclusive, can be honest, can, you know, you can show vulnerability, you can bring your whole self, all of that stuff that, you know, other people might see as sort of fluffy or, or whatever. 
And I think they've just seen that actually we could do it differently and it could be so much better. And if it was so much better, we would produce better results and we would do more purposeful work and we would be our best selves. What, like, what's the problem? What's the problem with that? And I think if you are looking at that narrative or you're listening to that narrative and thinking that it's wrong or thinking that it's the people who are the up and comings that are the problem, well, you know, move aside, step aside. <laughs> there's a there's a whole new world out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel the same way. I was, I was running a leadership program the last uh, few weeks. And one of the guys on that, uh, on that program has been in his industry for, you know, 30 years. Um, and we were talking about listening and collaboration, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, um, uh, the pastoral responsibilities of leaders today. And he was saying, listen, I just don't want to bring my, that side of my, I don't want to talk about myself at work. There's, there's work and there's home. And, you know, we challenged, challenged a little bit. The conversation was going around and around and we were exploring that attitude and whether it was okay today to have an attitude that says there's work and there's home and I don't mix the two things. It was really interesting because as we got towards the end of the conversation, he said, you know, when I started in this industry, it was really different than it is now. It, it was very macho in that kind of madmen type of, you know, image. And there's no way you would have talked about your emotions or anything. He says, you know, maybe it has gone too far the other way now, but it's certainly better where it is now than where it was. And I thought, so, so, so I thought of that when I was reading about this story, this Bill Michael story, and I thought, who in the organization was asking him about that? You know, who, who before he shot his mouth off in a meeting, mm -hmm. he must have expressed those kind of opinions or had that sort of energy. And presumably there are other people, I mean, who knows, but it's very rarely just one person who survives in an organization with that attitude and probably others at least colluding, if not supporting that attitude. Who was there around that table who was saying to him, okay, I need to, I need to challenge you <laughs> about some of these ideas because the world has moved. By the way, that's my, that's my cleaning lady doing the, the vacuuming. <laughs> I can't. I, I can't. I see, you talk about privilege. Right? Oh, yeah. You've Even just given us something there, Blair. We need, we need to do another show on uh, privilege there. On privilege. The That's right. It's my one <laughs> indulgence is to have somebody to come and clean up after me and my daughter and our dog. So, excuse me. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's continue. So, yeah, who, who, it feels like there wasn't anybody effectively doing that yeah I, I think that's really hard I think that's a hard gig I think that's a very difficult thing to stand up to when the the the, the most senior person in the organization set the tone um, it takes an awful lot of gumption to stand up to that the ripple effects that you standing up to that could cause just even in your own career and of course at the end of the day we all want to be safe and secure and to make sure that we you know keep keep uh, keep food on the table <laughs> so you know that's one driver 
but often being the the person who who calls out that sort of behavior is a very very lonely it's a lonely existence interestingly actually we did some um research last year into conscious leadership and we interviewed lots and lots of people about their experience their experiences of great leadership and one of the things that we don't talk about actually in 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 the report that we published but it was a something that we discovered was that these conscious leaders and that's what you're talking about here you're talking about somebody or people who would turn around and say actually that that's not that's not okay and that's not what we want to um be known for around here and that's not the culture that we're trying to create here actually is it come on now um that those are conscious leaders they're people who are bringing to the fore the things that actually other people don't don't enjoy or don't say and they're often the ones that get turfed so when we were talking to these people about these great these great leaders on a few of, of in the few of the interviews they said actually they were exited out of the organization because they were seen as being too disruptive I mean, fascinating, isn't it? You, you speak up for actually what's probably ethically right um, and you, you show integrity and it's, it's just too disruptive because it goes against the flow of the system and the culture. So yeah. I, think, I think that's hard. Somebody must have spoken up though, Blair. So, so, some, something well, I happened. Think there that. was a groundswell. So because it yeah. was done in front of so many people and I believe they had a sort of chat function and a lot of people were present in that meeting started to they had each other's backs basically didn't they because it, it, you get a sort of groundswell where it now becomes safe to speak out almost safer to speak out than to stay silent yeah yeah absolutely do you, do you think that as HR we we are the people if anyone who's going to do it who have to be willing to lose our jobs for this stuff do you think that we, I mean, I, you know, it, because if you're not willing to lose your job for it, then maybe you can't, maybe there's just too much at stake for you to call out some of yeah. this stuff. I, th I think that's ultimately the biggest risk that you take, isn't it? Um, I certainly was, I was that person. I was that HR person who, who was quite disruptive. And when I first left my last company and set up my business, I called myself the disruptive coach. I was so used to being the protagonist, the one who was like, whoa, hold on. Nah, well, what's good? You know, not that. No, surely this. Um, and I, I came to see myself as being incredibly disruptive. So I badged myself, you know, thinking, well, I'm, that's who I am. It wasn't until I went and explored the world and met some people who thought like me that I realized that actually I wasn't disruptive. I just had a point of view <laughs> and it was different to, you know, some of the people around me. Um, and I think that sometimes you do have to be brave. I, you know, I talk about being courageous as a leader. And I think sometimes you do have to stand up for what you believe in and you do have to challenge the status quo. Um, and, you know, sometimes you will lose your job over it. So if, let's imagine this scenario, both of us, one at a time, so that we don't have the safety of each other sitting there, but one, one at a time, both of us are sitting 
around that around that table with those senior leaders now in that organization what's happened has happened so he stood down there's an investigation going on what is what's one either question that you would be asking at this point or one kind of principle or idea that you would want to make sure was on the table as they explore this issue I guess I would want to understand whether this is really a systemic issue. I'd want to understand whether this this was the view of one man and it was sort of almost upheld by the other leaders because it was easier to do that or whether this is a point of view that's shared by the wider leadership team. Because if it is, it's a much, much bigger problem. However, you know, if, if is it, was his name Bill? Did you say Bill? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If yeah, Bill yeah. was just a very dominant character in that organization, and now that he's left, the organization can breathe <laughs> and be and be who they want to be, well then it's an easier problem to fix. Um, but you have you have to find out whether those things are systemic. And then when you found out whether they're systemic, you have to find out whether anybody's really got an appetite to change it. Because no amount of HR people throwing their to penneth into the ring and saying, oh, no, no, don't look what you've done. <laughs> look what you've done to the people. <laughs> They're all upset now. We've got to make them happy again. No amount of that um, being said is going to change anything if there's a fundamental belief in the system, which is we behave around here. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think that's a really good point. Um, I'm going to wait for a sec because you've frozen. All right. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really I think that's a really good point. And that would always be, you know, where there's one. I imagine that there are more because one person with an outlandish, outdated perspective can't survive, let alone be chair in an environment that, that really scrutinizes that behavior. So, so I, I would definitely assume that there's something systemic and would hope that the investigation wouldn't just focus on this one person. So if I was gonna add something in addition to that really good point, it would be that people do their own self-reflection. So that people look hard at themselves, at their own privilege or where they're taking for granted, oh, we're all like this, aren't we? Or we all have this, don't we? You know, we mentioned about your situation this week without the decent internet and without a decent place to work. You know, I think if this COVID situation's done anything, it's exposed that, you know, we would have categorized people as, um, as advan having advantages or disadvantages or based on some pretty simple, you know, financial considerations. Actually, now we're seeing that it isn't all about that. It can also be about where you live. It can be about who you live with. It can be about the strength of your internet. It can be about whether you've got a dedicated home office. It can be about whether you've got a garden. You know, some of these things are really influencing people's ability to contribute. Um, and that's not just while we're locked down that affects them every day whether they're going into an office or not it affects the kind of jobs that they 
can apply to or the kinds of jobs they do apply to. It, it affects whether they're willing to put themselves up for senior roles or not. So, so I think that, you know, we're very quick to judge, but we, I would hope that one of the outcomes of this situation at KPNG would be that everyone, particularly the senior people, would do some navel gazing, would, would actually ask themselves, how do I, what assumptions do I bring? What beliefs have I had for a very long time that I've assumed are true and normal, but need to be put under a microscope um, because they might be very outdated and very ill-informed. What I also believe is they could be the worst of it. So actually, you know, there could be hope. There could be other people who are like, yeah, I sort of did let that slip. I, well, I wrote in my book, um, whenever that came out, I can't even remember now, I think it was back in 2019, about normalising bad behaviour and actually that you can sometimes be part of a system that you, that where you do normalise bad behaviour because you don't really know how to change it. But they, they've got, awful term, but they've got a burning platform, haven't they? As leaders now, if they ever thought that what they saw around them was not okay, and if they ever played a part in um, enabling that behavior or enabling that system, they've got an opportunity to do it differently now because everybody's looking at them. Everybody is looking. And they're not just looking in from the outside like we're doing. Um, they're, they're looking up. The whole organization is looking up and they're waiting for something to happen. So, you know, this could be hugely liberating for the leaders at KPMG. I enjoyed that. Natasha, should we do it again next week? We should definitely do it again next week. Let, let's hope we're not talking about KPMG next week. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Maybe we'll come back to it in future when they've done something amazing and we're really inspired by that. Absolutely, absolutely. So what we would love people to do, um, because this is a new show, is we would love people to head over to iTunes and to give us a review, a star rating and write a few words because when you do that, more people get to know about our show. And um, so more people get to be part of this conversation. Thanks, so we'll see you again next week. Bye.